Hello, my name is Samuel George London, and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book artist and stupendous individual, Alison Sampson, about what comics she would take into an artificially intelligent robot uprising apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, The Comic Scene Comic Club. Available from just £5 a month or £30 a year, you can get monthly issues of the history of comics, Shift, Brawler and specials of Pat Mills' Space Warp. To find out more and subscribe to The Comic Club, visit comicscene.org. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Alison Sampson. How's it going? It's good, thank you. And it's lovely to talk to you. Uh, I don't get to do this very much. So nice to meet you, Sam. <laughs> Oh, it's it's an absolute pleasure. Um, and I tell you what, we, we we've been having a good chinwag for for a good ten minutes before we came on the air here. Um, but something that I didn't mention to you before is that we we have actually met in person. Um, and this was at Nice in two thousand and nineteen. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You were actually I I was tabling at Nice, um, and you were tabling um, about two tables over the aisle from me oh, I think I and I know. and, and I yeah. came over and said hello do you remember yeah no I think I do actually uh yeah you I was in the corner and you were, were yes. you on the in, inside I was on the inside like, yeah yeah that's right I do remember amazing look at that um so no yeah um our paths have crossed before um which is fantastic and it's great to actually you know speak speak at length because obviously we, we had a bit of an interaction there but um yeah i know it's going to be great to actually um get to know you a little bit better <laughs> over the show uh now for for anybody that hasn't come across you just yet what do you do in the world of comics i draw comics so i work with writers and um they write me a script and then i have the script and i draw the comics and the comics are at the moment published entirely by major US publishers in the what we call the direct market, which means the comics go initially into comic shops and then they go into bookshops. And my work has been published by Marvel, DC, Image Comics, who is my major publisher, Dark Horse, Boom, IDW, who, for whom I currently work, um, and others. And it's also been published in Europe by, let me think, Glenath, Panini, Splitter, maybe more. Those are the ones I know off the top of my head. We've just been published in Germany by Splitter. Um, for, and my current project, which I'm drawing when I'm not talking to you, or possibly even while I'm talking to you, is... Go for it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm drawing the... Well, drawing and talking works quite well, you know. I'm, I'm yeah, drawing the definitely. second volume of Sleeping Beauties, which is... Great. The comic adaptation of the best-selling novel by Stephen and Owen King about if um, women and men sort of got separated in the world and how they would cope and what happens. It's a, it's kind of about gender, sort of, but mm. it's also well, it's about a lot of things. It's a very weird. That's my current job, and um, generally. You'll find my work in comic shops and in bookshops and on Amazon 
and you if you google my name it'll kind of show what i've done and where you can find it certainly um so yeah no obviously you've worked for the who's who uh there is um throughout the comics industry uh but where's the best place to find you online um i'm on twitter instagram facebook and i have a website and obviously you can email me in the best place to find me although I don't post a huge amount of art because I'm mostly working on interior pages and we can't really post them until they've been published, is is Twitter. And on Twitter, I am Alice Samp, that's A-L-I-S underscore S-A-M-P. On Instagram, I'm Alison.Sampson. And on Facebook, you'll have to search me out, but I'm pretty easy to find. And it's a public profile. I mean, I, I don't really have a private part of Facebook because I but i don't post any private stuff on there really yeah Um, exactly um, yeah and i have a web i have a website which which has a shop on it and that's alisonsamson.com it's all fairly straightforward and that's it at the moment i i am probably going to start a ko-fi because why not and um, i don't have a patreon at the moment uh but you're planning to potentially not well no i have a very heavy workload of interior pages so i kind of like one but they take quite a bit of work and i really need Mm -hmm. to do my interior pages before i do that because i've got i've got i've got a heavy schedule going into the beginning of next spring wow incredible yeah, well, yeah. yeah. That's that's unsurprising though, as well. At the same time, um, so for, for for all the listeners out there, as always, those links are in the show notes. So feel free to click through onto Alison's website, her Twitter feed, and all that jazz, um, and and check out her her work if you haven't come across her before. But in all likelihood, you probably have come across her work at some point during your comic reading, um, and uh, all of that aside, Alison, unfortunately, I do have some bad news for you um and that is that there's been um an artificially intelligent robot uprising during this very conversation um and my my first question for you is what is your action plan for survival uh in in this uh, robot uprising firstly to calm down a bit like it's always scary when you get told the bad news i always get feel like i've been taken into the headmaster's office it's like yeah. oh, just chill for a second and then think about it. And I would say what you've told me isn't actually news because we have already we are already undergoing an artificially intelligent robot, aren't we? Really? Yeah. You know, what have we just been talking about? Social media. It's yeah, we we are slaves of the yeah. algorithm. You know hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Um yeah. you know, I how long have I I've only been in comics I think about 10 years now, it's nine years. And the reason for that is before I came into comics, I was an architect. And basically, um, the number of people working in architecture has gone down and gone down and gone down and gone down. And although my job didn't get taken away by automation, many, many, many people's jobs are being taken away by automation. And wow. one of the questions that I, I talk about with my nieces and nephews, you know, they're, they're, they're in the top ends of their teens about what they're going to do when they're older. And, you know, one of the things we say is, you know, what are you going to do when the robots come? 
which was kind of a joking way of talking about this automation thing. Mm. Um, we think, you know, and this is my answer. Oh, it's the sort of the overarching answer is that you concentrate on things where you make human connections that robots can't do. And so in the artificially intelligent robot apocalypse, this is the answer, is that you look at what robots can't do. They can't, there's, there's a whole load of things they can do, like things like account, in, in jobs, for example, things like accountancy and the law and things which have processes that they could be taught. Um, you know, those things, they, everything which has got order and organization and rationality and process and this comes from this, the robots will own that. But the things where the, the robots won't own is a human interaction and creativity and our, um, the, our lateralness, which I think I'm really quite lateral. It's probably going to be quite useful that because I will probably do something the robots won't think of because I'm an idiot. And um, <laughs> it, it, it's a strength and a weakness, that. And uh, <laughs> sometimes quite often a weakness. And um, yeah. And um, yeah, when I, when I did both professional exams and I got different, different answers to everyone else and I was absolutely distraught and I went and cried this, I thought I'm going to fail this I don't know anything and I like got a distinction and it was because this weird thing where you can think about stuff it's, it's not amazing a good um but yeah so it's, it's these things with human interactions where will I go is the question I think probably I would stay put because as much as the temptation would be to get out of the city for safety reasons actually I think we would need community and it's a bit mythic that there's community in the countryside. There's actually, I, I am actually from the countryside and there can be community, but quite often there is a reason people go and live in the countryside with a lot of space around them and that is because they don't like people. And mm -hmm. it's not necessarily going to be the best answer. And if we can, you know, work with our local community, and this is what's happened in this pandemic, we've, we've effectively been doing a rehearsal for this. Um, you know, we, you, you help your local community and they help you, you know, mm -hmm. it's like I yeah. really early on in the pandemic, I got delivered. My, I, I got, we got, we had to, we couldn't use the supermarkets anymore because we couldn't get delivery. So we were just getting our stuff from all these others. We found alternative sources for all our food and like all my vegetables got substituted with kale. So I was like, like really like kale and I was like sit on my <laughs> local community website I've just got a load of kale can I swap it or something nice and that's what we did and that's what everybody was kind of doing was that I've got too much of it would you like some swapping it, right. it, it's actually been pretty good for the community is this where people have mucked in or connected much more so making connections making the most of what we've got making human connections and probably i would say a bit like i don't put my private stuff on facebook i'm, I'm a little bit too old to just put everything out there um yeah. <laughs> not basically giving it to the give it giving it to the artificial intelligence it's like i i, I do not yeah. like that stuff at all yeah. and i think yeah. it will be the 
not the end of it, but if society breaks down, it's artificial intelligence will have done it, almost certainly. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It's definitely going to have a hand in it, whichever, whichever yeah. way it goes, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it ha- it's happening now, and it just happened, yeah. and it will happen. Mm-hmm. And my, mm-hmm. as I say, my answer is, is analogue, offline, people, community, creativity. Beautiful. Take it away from the machine. Why, you know, we've done it before, we do it again. Uh, I mean, the internet only came in when I was like, you know, old was I, late 20s, mid-20s. And, you know, it's not the be-all and end-all. It has been extremely useful. No. But we would have existed before the internet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you know, we, 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 did have, we did have a global, we did have global connection actually before the internet. It has been tremendously helpful, mm. but it was there before. And um, yeah, that, 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 that's the answer. And I, w- I would also probably lobby for decoupling. You know, not only would one look after oneself, but I'd lobby for decoupling of things from yeah. um, artificial intelligence as well and the closure of things like Palantir. Um, mm-hmm. um, things like you know, if you did travel, what that connected up to. I don't. I don't know. I mean, con- connections and databases are kind of great. It's the moment it gets used for something else, and I think people are. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> incredibly stupid, uh, frankly, about how much private information they put out there. I mean, I'm a member yeah. of a, like fan- various fandoms. I, I'm quite like sort of fan culture and i'm in i not not so much involved but i'm there and i'm very aware that some of the much younger people are putting all sorts of stuff out there you know about their medical conditions and their lives and their yeah it's just even if they're not being explicit about it they're putting some really weird private stuff out there and you're like you know you should stop doing that yeah, because cause now that's in the I, algorithm, right? <laughs> even I can, even I can tell that possibly that might impact on your medical insurance right now, um, or yeah. you know anything. It's like I was, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was, I will bet you there is already software that will score people for their so-called wokeness or employers, right. and it will probably be counted against them. And, wow. you know, this is real secret police stuff. And I will be very, yeah. very surprised if it doesn't exist already. You know, we've allowed the secret police into our lives pretty much. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, that's fine. And we participated. What are we doing? Yeah. So I, I'm, 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 <laughs> old enough to, I'm old enough to, to remember, um, you know, people, people in East Germany. East Germany. I, I was in um, Eastern Europe in 1990. and. Wow. When people, you know, and this, this is all really close. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, people were afraid of the secret police then, and rightly, this is this is not just history. This is within our lifetime, like not not yeah. just within our lifetimes, within my adult life. Incredible. Um, but uh, trying to trying to bring it back to. Um, I'm very apocalyptic. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's 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 absolutely fantastic, Alison. Um, and it, it, honestly, that was that was really really um, powerful to hear all of that stuff. And you make 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 a really good point. Um, but uh, 
what I'm I'm thinking is that now you've you've managed to kind of create a nice little kale community let's say yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in your in your local area and um you're you're having a nice summer's um campfire evening um, and yeah. where you've been singing songs and you know the wine has been flowing and there's been laughter throughout um and it's kind of coming almost towards the end of the evening you know the sun's just about setting um yeah. on a on a british summer's evening you know um the the sky is that that nice kind of orange to to navy blue type of color um uh-huh. and uh the the question about what everybody do, did for a living in the in the before times <laughs> comes yeah. up um and you mentioned that that you're a comic artist <clears throat> Um, and and the community gets very interested in in that because that's a very unusual profession, um, and uh, they, they come up with a very specific list of questions for you to answer. And the, and the first question that they ask you is, "What's the first comic you remember enjoying?" It would be 2000 AD. I'm sorry, probably everybody you talk to probably says this because it's like <laughs> at one point it was a fair the amount. only comic. It was the only comic, but it there were actually. It was not the only comic. I mean, there were a lot of comics. I, I mean, I'm, to, to disclosure to anybody who doesn't know, I'm 51 now, which means that my, my comic reading, my first comic I read in, in the 1970s, and there were a lot of comics. And about, it feels like about 75% of them concerned themselves with Nazis and the Second and, and War. It really yeah. felt like that. Wow. And I did not have any time for any of that at all it was really like I appreciate people did and and if you think about it if I was I don't know five six seven eight um people who were like you know middle-aged comic readers now would remember that stuff as being in their lives or being you know very adjacent so I can say oh you know I have no time for that but it probably wasn't for me but then there were children's comics and there was all sorts of other things. And then what happened? And, and and these things were in the news agents, so it wasn't hard to get. But we'd go and, you know, we'd go to the supermarket in our local town and then we'd go around to the news agent and we would, there'd be a whole rack of newsprint comics of this thing and that thing and the other thing. And we would be allowed to get some sweets. We might go to the library. That came, that came a bit later and we stopped over our library book and then we were we, my brother and it wasn't me this was a boy's comment would get a copy of 2000 AD which I would then steal and read and um, I mean I mean it was a very it, I think I think my background is quite uh, what's the word really really traditional and girls were not allowed a whole load of stuff and my life was supposed to be devoted to housework and stuff like, genuinely wow. I'm not joking and wow so my brother, it's like I didn't get to go and see Star Wars until I was in my 20s because it was a boy's book. And oh, wow. Even, okay. even, yeah, I know. Uh, even though, it, you know, he went like three times or something. And um, so he'd get this and I'd read it and I thought this was just brilliant. And it was really, really subversive, actually. And everybody was reading it. It wasn't, it was, despite it being really subversive, it was very, very widely read. And, and latterly, 
my mum would get these bundles of second-hand 2000 DVDs from jumble sales. So I, I was reading it late and out of order, and it kind of didn't matter. Um, I could sort of, it, it, when I, you know, when you're eight or nine, it kind of doesn't matter if not everything connects them. It's a kind of feel. But it was brilliant. And um, so that, that would be the answer to that. I mean, it was um, Carlos Escara, who I don't know when he had left. Um, I think it's Spanish as opposed to Portuguese or is he Portuguese I, can't, I think he's Portuguese and he had left fasc- he'd been a refugee for, from fascism and he was putting it into the comic and yeah. that comic more or less politicised a generation I yeah yeah no doubt and, and kind of rightly so in a way as well, yeah. of course, because um, it's a it's a dangerous, slippery slope. All of that, isn't it? Um, but uh, so at, at this age, um, were you drawing a lot, um, or did that come later? Yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, yeah, I was living in the countryside, and um, so go to school, and and so I didn't have friends who I, I had friends in a sort of neighbouring village, but they didn't like live next door. And yeah. <laughs> um, and then when I was eight, I went to I got sent to a school in York, which was twelve miles away, which meant that my school friends didn't live near me at all. And um, so when I wasn't at school and wasn't doing my homework, I, I and I'm also from the northeast and it's flipping freezing up there, and uh, mm. I would I would paint, and I didn't have. This is going to sound very weird, but the 70s in the UK were pretty austere for a lot of people. They were very austere for me. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have paper. And um, I would get off like kitchen packaging and I would paint on that. Wow. So you had paper, you had no paper. And very, very sort of short on material. Or short on everything, actually. I mean, there was sugar yeah. shortage in alcohol. And, um, yeah, so I, w- I was doing a lot of painting. I think I-, I won the painting competition when I was three. So I was really, I was really into it. That was my main thing, was, was doing art. I could just do it on my own. And um, then what happened, and I was, I was very much helped by people at school all the time. But I was lucky enough to have really good art teachers and people who encouraged me. And I think that went on alongside the 2000 AD reading until I was about um, 18. I, I, I didn't do an art A-level. Um, I wasn't, I was, it, there was a pressure at that time for, to do it so-called smart people. I would do engineering and stuff and I didn't know. And um, so then I did that and, and I, and I had to do my portfolio in my spare time, which I did, and all that was fine, and I got into university and with it. And then, really, university, I went to Cambridge University, and I won't say that just cut everything dead, but it kind of did, um, mm. where suddenly you were in this framework of other people. And all the kind of the really stupid things I'd been doing, like, you know, I would... 
and I've actually still got them. I I, I made soft sculpture, and I would do I would make kind of animals out of knit. I would make sort of things out of knitting, and I would paint. I would make models and paint them, and you know, and I would make dioramas and all sorts of weird stuff, you know. And I spent ages cutting things out of magazines and making collages and stuff. And and all of this was deemed not yeah it was deemed improper kind of and Cambridge was very dry and the the science you know it it was all a bit I look back now and I think you know was that really the right place for you and mm. uh, anyway that kind of dried it all out of me and I kind of um, knew it actually and then you know, so I persisted for a bit and it basically got ironed out of by all these other people who had come largely architects' children and architecture in Cambridge is very uh, Cambridge is very dry. And yeah. <laughs> and then I left and I came to, I went to work in London and then what happened was there was a huge recession and everybody, all the young people in the firm I worked for got laid off. And it was and and actually, at that time, something like two thirds of the architecture firms in London disappeared. It was it, this recession. Wow. It's very hard to describe, but it's like that kind of easy time of people going out. You, you know, people would go out and spend two you know two hours having lunch, and this kind of easy time people had to work. That was this was the beginning actually of the artificial intelligence robot uprising. With this was like about that where we were just having to do a lot more work and and. Also, computers were coming in to help us with this as well, and that took out a lot. And it took that took out a lot of people because they were wasting a lot of time. And then that helped bring me back, and I went to the Bartlett, which is London University School of Architecture. Oh, sorry, University College London School of Architecture, and at that time. It had just got a new head of school called Peter Cook, and Peter Cook had been in an avant-garde, or he was an avant-garde architect in a, this collective called Archigram. And Archigram included people like Ron Heron, who they had these walking cities, and it was like really out there. And he was he wants he was pushing people to be very very experimental. And I kind of found myself again. It was very fortunate mm -hmm. I went there at the time and that they let me in because it became, in fact, that that year I was there, it was rated as, I think, the best architecture school in the world. And it's like, frankly, they would have not let me into that. I was just lucky I got in before. Wow. And, um, and that, and pe people think architecture is quite remote from them, but actually architecture and comics have a huge amount in common, like yeah. huge amount. It, it's it's very much the comics is actually very much a distillation of a lot of the good bits of us actually and um, what with that whilst getting rid of some of the very boring bits like at most of the very boring bits. and mm. um, yeah so that was good and then um, I had a concept art career for I, I made con I made um, conceptual art and I exhibited it for a bit and then I realised what an art career. I mean, I'm contemporary with sort of young British artists, and um, I recognised what an art career would be like. And I was sort of 
really put off by it where um, I realised a lot of it was, you know, you've made these things that were supposedly art, but actually people just wanted you to keep. It was more a production line thing, and I was like, it it was a lot more grafty than you might think, or I had thought at the time. And um, I was like, I'm just going to concentrate on my job, and I got one I did great, and then years passed. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, yeah, no, it, it sounds like you've been on quite, quite a a journey throughout your career um and i think we'll 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 pick that up um in terms of how you you reignited uh getting into comics later on um but uh in in the meantime let's head back to the campfire um and the the campfire circle uh comes up with their next question for you and that's what's the funniest comic that you've read? This is a surprisingly hard question for me to answer because I've realised that most, if not all, of the comics I read are quite serious or sort of serious, but also my sense of humour is really super, super basic and I think it lends itself to other mediums. Like, you know, if somebody fell over, I would probably laugh. I'm you know, it's <laughs> I have a really, really childish sense of humour. Good bit of slapstick. <laughs> yeah, and also I have I have a very funny boyfriend as well. He he's <laughs> he may he tells stupid jokes all the time, and he you just have to laugh at him or laugh with him. And I kind I don't really look to comics for humour at all. I have I have made a funny comic, but the one I would pick out that I would tell people about is probably. Um, Marvel's um, Thor and Loki Double Trouble, which is largely about people falling over. Uh, uh, it, it, it's just lovely and incredibly cute. And if you've seen, it's by um, Marika Tamaki and Guru Hero. And if you look at the art, you, it, it is exactly what you think it's going to be, where basically Loki tricks Thor into doing something where after something happens to Thor and then something happens to Loki and then they all fall over all this disaster and then somehow it gets put right and then they do it again. And it's just incredibly cute. And that's, it is funny. Um, But as I say, things that make me laugh don't really work in the comic format. So it's safe. It, it suits film a lot more. Like I, there's loads and loads and loads of films I find funny, and will laugh at. And sometimes I will laugh at books, but or in, and very often I will laugh at people. But kind of comics, not so much. A lot of my comics. Um, I was looking at my bookcase today, and I was thinking it's all really quite dark. All of it. <laughs> so, so yeah, not massively funny on the comics. But my own comic, which I will tell you about, is Please. about. A woman. We, this is this is the comic I should I should say. It, 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 this is it, it's genuinely funny. Um, it's about it, it's written by Fred Van Lente, who has a lot of funny comics, and um, it's about a woman who gets a beard and it gives her superpowers, and it's just great. There's an awful lot. You, it, she she hates it, but it kind of she can, with it she can fly, and it's kind of like, you know. People have really weird relationships with body hair, and this is like, yeah, we've made a comic about it. Of course we have. So, yeah, 
not a lot of funny stuff around here. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's quite all right. Um, and uh, yeah, no, comedy is really, really tough. Um, there, there, there are some, uh, particularly in comics, um, and and it it does tend to be kind of you know jokes that are within stories, um, yeah. and and for the most part, um, a lot of people in for this question in particular on the show um, tend tend to go for things like strips you know yeah. um yeah. because you know you, you can literally just have a punchline <laughs> i'm yeah. very short yeah. short and sweet yeah and, and 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 for example right now um there is the uh, loki series on disney plus and there is some yeah. terrifically funny fan art around you know with the alligator um, yeah, yeah of course so i don't i don't really think that's comics i think you know a single image yeah. isn't quite the same um so yeah sort it could be but it <laughs> um yeah definitely um no it's really really difficult there are there, there are a few notable people um who who managed to do it very well one one that comes to mind is is, is, is a chap called kyle starks i don't know um if you come across i do Kyle's know yes or, i have because yeah, not... your yeah i have yeah i mean you see this this is the thing is it, do i think this is funny i am not sure um yeah i don't i don't know i don't i just don't know if i find comics funny and all yeah yeah yeah, probably totally. uh, yeah well it's you i know, think it's i all... think they might I, th- I think it just might be how i process them where i read it's, yeah. it's the gap between reading it and reacting it's like mm. i think because you're the one performing the punchline aren't you yeah yeah i think also <laughs> humor is generally has to work at has to work in an almost unmediated way. It's like, for yeah. example, I was at a convention and a writer whom I know walked past my table and um, there was a little ruck in the carpet and about two or three foot away from my table, he thought, he was talking to me and he wasn't looking where he was going and then he fell over and I just laughed. And it's kind of like, it's better, <laughs> I really shouldn't have laughed. It's very unmediated. You know, it's a funny thing happened Brilliant. and I laughed. It wasn't funny thing happened somebody wrote it down i read it and then i laughed that so that breaks it for me fair enough that's great why stand up works so well yeah exactly exactly that's fantastic now changing gears a little bit um what's the saddest comic that you've read um this is quite difficult to explain to people because i don't think anyone else has seen it but um I have this, and I I have a puffin annual, and in the 1970s there was a lot of this kind of thing where you'd get annuals all the time, which were compilations of all sorts of stuff. And I I for some reason I have a puffin annual, and if anybody's looking at it online, it's the green one. And in the back of this puffin annual, alongside the sort of articles about Richard's dad and all sorts of weird stuff, they were really weird, was a comic about some insects on some plants and the insects had a very happy life and then one day some spaceships came and some other insects came out of the spaceship and basically enslaved these insects who were having a happy life and I think they took them away and then they worked them really hard and then the insects kind of died and uh, and this this is this is a this is a comic for young children and 
I was absolutely, it was very, very effective. Now I look back and I think I see exactly what that was. That was, that was a story about slavery. And yeah. it, was, it was explaining why this was bad to young children. But it, it never said that. Um, mm-hmm. it, I, just, I just was utterly, utterly, despite it being about incest, it was very well drawn. I was probably reading this. It was probably some of my earliest reading. Or maybe it wasn't even reading at all, but it, I'm not even sure it had words. And mm. um, I was absolutely devastated by this. I mean, it's really, it's just entirely bleak. It's like having a good life, and it's all pretty, and then spaceships come, and people take them away, and then they work them to death, and then they die. And you're oh, you know, what was that about? Well, you did, that, I didn't think that, so I, I just thought, but yeah, it, as I say, it's dis- it's describing something that, happens in the real happens in the real world or happens in the real world and yeah. Um, yeah absolutely devastating it's not really entertainment is it um but yeah, yeah. 1970s there you go you know <laughs> well yeah. i mean you know sto- stories all have have their place don't they um and you yeah. know it's it's i guess it's, it's exploring emotions um but you can imagine finding having. out about that i mean you know you oh yeah no when you're young you know yeah. what i mean i know what yeah. i mean but Imagine if you're a very, very young child and your concept of yeah. the world is the farm you're growing up on, you go out mm-hmm. and feed animals with your dad, your family, you know, things that you pick up maybe off the news, if you sing in the news, uh, books you get read to, you know, animals, not a lot. And then introduce into this slavery. Like flipping heck, but but it it, it hits really hard. <laughs> yeah. You know? If you haven't heard of it before, it's like it has you have to learn sometimes. But like, yeah, it's quite a brick to the face, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To five year olds, yeah. Oh, to a five year old, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I when I read it with some of my earliest reading, it was possibly some of my earliest reading. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's incredible because I mean, I've I've got a four year old daughter, um, and uh, she can't watch anything emotionally distressing. She just kind of almost freaks out pretty much. So she's kind of yeah. got this this gauge of like if something bad is happening, she's like, "Stop it! Stop it! Stop it!" Like you know, properly insisting. So obviously, we that, stop it because you know, I, I don't want to emotionally scar her. <laughs> yeah, it was the, well, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's the first time she would be hearing about it. So yeah, it's yeah. completely understandable exactly. that she'd want to like be wanting you to turn the volume down on it. And I mean, the seventies were a different time. I mean, there was a lot of really mm. bad shit happening which we saw on the news because the news didn't hold back. And, right. um, you know, in those political regimes, did all sorts of stuff and there was refugees coming here. And, um, you know, Idi Amin was doing all sorts of stuff. Mm. And this was, this was there. Even if you're quite young, you were not escaping it. But this, as I say, this comic, uh, it's, a, it's actually, well, the 1970s were a weird time. Like, as I say, you know, everybody was reading. You had eight-year-old, eight- and nine-year-olds reading a comic that was a satire on fascism drawn by a person who was an escapee from fascism, which was still going on at that time. That's the 1970s. Mm-hmm. It was a weird time. Incredible. Mm. I'm quite glad it's not the same now, especially for your daughter. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, now, uh, changing gears once again, um, what's the scariest comic that you've read? Uh, it would be Uzumaki. I mean, I mean, saying Junji Ito, I'm sure quite a lot of people say. It's it come up quite a few times. <laughs> yeah, it would be, be Uzumaki. It's just the relentlessness of it that um, it, it, it kind of just doesn't stop. And I think that's what's so scary about it. It's re- the weirdness aside. I mean, horror horror is largely about weirdness. Um, it's the fact that the bad shit occurs, and then it occurs, and it occurs, and it occurs. And normally in horror comics, there's a sort of dialogue of revealing of, of relentlessness and withholding. And Uzumaki actually mm-hmm. just doesn't withhold. It just carries go- carries on going. And I think that's what's horrible about it. There's no, there's no letter, and it's not going to stop. And it's not going to be okay. Incredible. Very unwestern in that way. There's no happy end. Yeah, yeah, no, no, not at all. Um, but uh, for, for for any of the listeners that that haven't come across that at all, can you give us a flavour of the of the actual story itself? Yeah, <laughs> well, um, <laughs> basically, it's about a small town with some people in it, and it is invaded. Don't let this put you off. It, it does work. <laughs> it is invaded by spirals. And um, the fact that that may be unclear to you is the root of the horror because nobody else gets it either. Yeah. But it does happen and then it does stop. And it just... I'm not going to... I actually don't want to spoil it for people. It's like, there was, yeah. like just go and read it. Go and yeah. re- go and read it. I am not going to spoil it for you because some of the the best parts of it are like I can't believe that's happening. Yes, it's happening. Yes, that yeah. happened. Oh no, that's happening as well. And if I tell you, <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, no. If you if you haven't read anything by Jinji Ito, definitely go go um, go check out Uzumaki first. Um, and see see how yeah, you get it's, on. It's, it's a good start. It's a good it's a good starting point. I mean, he has quite a lot of work, and um, he also has a cat diary. He he yes. just seems yeah. a totally awesome person, and he likes cats. Mm-hmm. And if you, the cat diary is not scary, but it's quite him. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Uh, now uh, moving on to my favourite question, and that is, what is your favourite cover? Well, this, this again is quite a hard thing to answer because there's a lot yes. of there are many, many fantastic covers, and there's many reasons to like them as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I have so my answer probably, and this is quite a weird answer, but it's relatively personal. Is Jock's covers for the Scalp series by Vertigo, which the interiors were drawn by R. R. Guerra and the book is written by Jason Aaron and it's probably the book that established Jason Aaron as a writer and talked through the covers and there's quite a lot of them. I think it, it runs to maybe 24 books or something, quite a lot. And the reason I like them is, because, and I have, and the reason I picked them out is I have some of them as original art. And they're just, that series is all about people. And sometimes superhero dumb 
can stop can can get in the way of seeing a book being about people basically sort of thinking about the mm-hmm. period or you're thinking about something else or you're thinking about the images or, or whatever but that combination of people and story um it is entirely about people and jock jocks are actually is all about people as well and that's where he's kind of come from with it and although again now again he's involved in a lot of film art and you know there's a lot of batman and so on his art is still all about people and when i mean all about people it's not just he's drawing people it's about it's quite expressionistic that these are real people with real lives mm-hmm. and real foibles and pain and you know and so on so that's you know the grounding art of a very good art a very good artist probably also is quite influential on my work so and, and as i say i've got the art right here as original amazing so it, it comes to mind and the other people i would name is two people it's marcos martin who i might name because i mean he's just a fantastic designer and hit like him and javier Polido, both really great designers i was actually quite surprised how few covers they have actually done which which is kind of interesting i mean (laughs) they're absolutely great at that stuff and because what you need to some extent what comic covers need is um is presence in the shop when you have that wall of of comics they've got they've got to jump out and which is why a lot of image comics have a different visual quality from, say, Marvel comics, because the image comics people know they've actually got to sell their comic with their cover, and yeah. they are they have to be a lot more graphic. They have to be graphic because they have to compete. And so I'm surprised there are not as many Marcus Martin and Javier Polito covers. There are some Marcus Martin ones. I said Batgirl ones are my favourite ones, uh, which are, are relatively old in the scheme of things. But I do, they're just really good ideas he's a, he's a very he's a great designer and the other person i would pick out is emma rios's covers and pretty much everything she does art wise i just think is amazing that she is so present in the art like she's not drawing this for any other reason than to let the art speak for her in the storytelling and um that that's you would say does not every comic artist do this? No, no, they absolutely do not do it like she does it. Um, and so, if people aren't aware of Emma Rios's work, they should go and look it up because they will see what I mean. That it's um, very graphic, beautifully designed. I mean, like me, she was also trained as an architect and she worked for as an architect for a while. And um, we we are influenced by some of the same people and. And it's it's beautifully drawn and beautifully designed and it's very thoughtful and it's increasingly strange, which I like a lot. And um, we we did a, a podcast last year about place uh, with me and her and um, Ron Wimberley and a couple of other people. And she was saying that in her work, what she wanted to create was sort of atmospheres about the work that she was to make this up which is absolutely true but she would create these atmospheres about the work and it would be about feeling and what she's trying to communicate and 
that is almost unique in comics. I mean, you just have to see it to understand what I mean. But that, that is what I think about it. As I say, creating these atmosphere. So, yeah, I, I like her comic covers and I like his comic covers. And I like quite a lot of comic covers. The ones I don't yeah. like are the yeah. ones where it's just an unreadable group of people, which actually is quite a lot of them. I'm really sorry to do this. Yeah. I mean, I know why they happen. It's just mm-hmm. they don't work quite so well for me. Yeah. No, totally. Um, and it's, it is, it's so great when you do come across a comic cover that, that truly stands out um, and just jumps out at you and grabs your attention, fires your imagination. Um, it's, it's a really nice moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And I, and I mean, also, as a storyteller, it's interesting for us to look at it the other way and it would be... You know, how can you tell your story in this way? And mm-hmm. um, when I drew Winnebago Graveyard, which is I'm the co-creator of with Steve Niles, which was published by Image, and I was like, how can I have a a series of covers? And one of the things, the big theme of Steve Niles' work is who is the monster. In fact, that's the theme of probably all his work, and. So I wanted to make a cover where we we kind of asked that question and I used a big I put a big black triangle on the cover. I was like, can I can I break it down so far? It's just a cover, it's just a black triangle on the cover. And that was kind of where it started. Our monster was a black triangle basically. And that that was pretty effective, actually. I was you know, you you have it, it it's an it's an interesting art moment where you're like how can I say this thing in this how can I say this and get my concept yeah. down in this in one page <laughs> in one in lots not just in one page but at a glance yeah a glance even yeah no you're quite right yeah definitely um how, how do I get somebody that's scanning the comic book shelves to notice this story <laughs> and, and indeed what does a big black triangle mean to people I mean yeah pyramids across cultures uh, connected with death mm-hmm. and I was like you know it's the triangle of death it, um, it's the triangle of death we just got unconnected there but I think we just reconnected again and um, yeah so it's a, it's a whole sector of, of comic art that it, I mean I draw a lot of interiors I don't get asked to do covers very much I, I mean I would like to get asked to do more but um, it's it's a whole skill in its own right Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, um, and uh, yeah, obviously Jock, um, and and the others you mentioned uh, are absolute um, incredible artists um, that that able are able to do that. Uh, now, uh, moving on to another of my favourite questions, and that is, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Well, it's a fairly easy answer, actually. It w- it would be Watchmen, and the reason for this is. This is the comic that brought me back to comics. So I had this really long hiatus of, I don't know, two decades or something, where I didn't read any comics. And in that time, I missed out on the golden age of British comics, on um, you know all the Neil Gaiman stuff, on um, Jamie Hewlett, all early Vertigo, all sorts, and late, even late Vertigo, all sorts of stuff, and a whole bunch of British artists. British um, yeah, artists doing well. 
and then I used to read a lot of film magazines and um, so I had, a, I had quite a long commute and I'd read film magazines on the train and um, I read that there was going to be a film of this graphic novel called Watchmen and I thought oh that's interesting maybe I'll get the book and um, this is like about a year before the film came out you know film magazines where they sort of I went and got mm. and then I read it really in, in one sitting and I was like this is interesting you know this yeah. was not this was different this was this was like reading a novel or something this was different from these kind of comics I'd read yeah. when I was little and um so I was like I wonder if there's anything else like that and I had honestly no idea where to start. And I went on the internet and um, I didn't know where to buy comics. I didn't know what comics were available. It's really, it's, if, you, if you don't know, it's incredibly obscure. And um, at that time, I found a comic shop, an online comic shop in Holland. And I ordered my books online from them. And they came in a little cardboard box. It was called Exclamation Comics brilliant and they would or they had they had a much wider um list than diamond which i hadn't known but was kind of lucky and i think one mm. of the first books i got was negative burn which was probably an old an old copy of it and um it was it was i don't know if you know about negative burn it was published by caliber comics which is joe pruitt who now runs um aftershock and right. um Negative Burn was an anthology and all these people who were doing amazingly or who, who were going to do amazingly at the time were in it like I think Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey's first work together is in Negative Burn and it was in that comic that I bought and there was Paul Pope and there was a whole bunch of people and that was this Watchmen Negative Burn sort of thing was my kind of starting point that was a good starting point that was probably almost optimal. And then, you know, I, I kind of searched around on the internet and, you know, headed to Vertigo fairly quickly. And then, you know, here we are. It's been very long. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, who who did you go about approaching first to to actually get your your first story published, or did you approach a writer, or oh, didn't, how did it all didn't that come work about? like that at all? No, it did right. not work like that at all. Um, mm-hmm. What happened was I was um, my contract ran out at my job, and I was drawing people's children for you know drawing, sake of drawing, and um, for something to do, and um, you know, and I draw their child and I would give it to them as gift which was a win-win as far as I was concerned. And and they were concerned. And anyway, one day I drew Rob Davis's daughter, Evie. We, no, she's Evie. And um, wow. she was like, I don't know, five or six at that time. And um, I gave it to him and he said, why don't you draw a comic? And I was like, where do I start with that? I mean, I was aware of um, We Are Words and Pictures, who was a London that was a London based collective of comic artists at the time. And they had an anthology called Solipsistic. And he said there's going to be another issue of Solipsistic Pop and it's going to be about maps. And I thought that's something I should be involved with. 
So I wrote to um, Tom, who was the publisher, Tom Hunderston, who was the publisher of um, Solipsistic Pop, and I said, can I be in it? Could, could, could I contribute something? And he was like, no, you've never drawn a comic before. And I was like, that's fair enough, okay. Um, but could I have the brief? Because I don't mind if you don't publish me, but like, I'm just quite like to have some structure to work to so I can make something. Um, and he gave it to me. And then somehow I ended up in the comic. And then, uh, yeah, I, don't, I, I mean, I assume it was a mistake. Well, I, I got some mail list and then I just got left on it or something. And, and then I, but, but I, you know, I posed the comic and I made the comic and the comic was in the book. And then what happened was um, there was, on comic book resources, there used to be a feature about people would send in pictures of their bookcases. And I had a bookcase in my comic. And then one day on Twitter, they were like, you know, people send in your bookcases. And I was like, well, I've got a bookcase. And I sent, I emailed them my picture, the double page spread in the middle of my comic, which was of my bookcase. My my comic was called Small World. And it was about losing my job, basically. And it was about losing my job and ending up just having this existence in one small, you know, your, your world shrinks when that happens. Not unlike our pandemic existence, but that, that kind of happened. I made a comic about it. I sent this comic off, and then they put it on Comic Book Resources, which was nice of them. And then within about 15 minutes of it going on Comic Book Resources, somebody emailed me and said, will you draw my graphic novel? And I was like, okay. And then I did. And Image published it. It was a very, very fraught process. Don't, don't kid yourself that that was easy. There was like, it took a long time, a boatload of angst, several boatloads of angst, um, you know, lots of hassle. And anyway, eventually the book was done and Image published it, which was great. And it did well, which was very weird. It was really, it is, Genesis is a really weird book. And, mm. um, but entirely, it was written by a guy called Nathan Edmondson, who, who was awful to work with. And um, since departed comics. Hopefully. Right. And um, mm. anyway, I he'd left. He pretty much left me. He gave me. He eventually I got the script of him, but he pretty much left me to do everything else. And I did everything else, wow. which is fine. And that was a huge learning experience, which was great. And it did okay. And then I thought I'd do another one, and here we are, kind of thing. Sometime later, and that's what that's what happened. And you know, I think. Probably, I mean, my architecture work gave me some, gave me a lot of help in this. Um, like I say, it's much more similar than people think. You know, there's a whole other things you do from um, draw, just actually drawing. Architecture has a lot of drawing involved to communicating what you want to say, to knowing where to put the lettering, to all sorts of things, and, it, and all of that helps. Um, so yeah, that was that was kind of what came out of Watchmen, and that was that was my kind of path path into into comics. So I didn't make a pitch and then send it. I was asked to draw the the, the graphic the image book. I was asked to draw a book, and then part of the problem was that I never knew what was happening to it, and I made the whole thing before I knew, and then. 
the whatever had been going on in the background and then suddenly when it was done it all happened very quickly and I think it was solicited like two weeks after Thought Bubble when I saw Eric Stevenson and asked what was happening with it which I'm not absolutely sure I've no I do not know happened there I'll never know um wow. I know it was it was an exceptionally stressful time so I made this book and I thought the book was good enough that it could be published it was publishable and if, if nobody else published it we would self-publish it but kind of it's the not knowing you know um yeah. you can't chase the publisher if they don't know you they, if you don't know they have picked up the book so I, I entirely made this thing and then it was solicited almost straight away and I was like and then I suddenly had to go into real realistic mode where you're like, so it's been solicited, what does that mean? What do I need to do next? And you had to, nobody mm-hmm. tells you. You just have to work it out. Uh, so I, I kind of got through that. As I say, a fantastic learning experience. Yeah. Incredible. Um, yeah. Yeah. What an origin story, <laughs> Alison. Yeah, kind <laughs> so of really hard. Like really, yeah. really baptism of fight. Like yeah that. literally yeah no that's yeah. incredibly hardcore uh now i'm um, talking of fire um let's head back to the campfire um yeah. and uh the next question that comes up from um your community is uh, what's the most underrated comic 90 percent of them um i think yes. unfortunately <laughs> that we just comics diet conversation is a little bit like um, a bottle of full cream milk where we just talk about the bit on the top a lot and then the rest of it we don't talk about at all and consequently we miss out a lot and so without you know going into a list of every comic that has ever existed I will mention one, 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 one cartoonist which is Jack Tardy who I rate very highly and um, Jacques Taddy's book in English, he's a, he's a French cartoonist. Um, his books in English are published, I think, entirely by Fantagraphics, and mm-hmm. they are mostly hardbacks. And until relatively recently, you had to import them. I, I'm, they, for some reason, they couldn't be sold here, but now they're sold here. You can go into um, Gosh Comics or OK Comics or Page 45 or any of these, and they'll have a nice selection. And he, I don't know if he's still making them. He's He makes several different kinds of comics. And his drawing style always remains the same, which is this very clear way of drawing. Um, and it's not, it's kind of cartoony, but not particularly cartoony. And um, he has three main subjects. And one of them is he has a partner a writing partner and he does crime stories and these to me are, are kind of quite funny he's a, he's a fantastic observer where mm. um, and, and a lot of it is extremely French um mm. these crime stories and then he has some fantasy stories but what he, and one of the things he's best known for is um with books the first of which the three first world war books and his dad was in the first world war which is where it comes kind of comes he gets a lot of his info from and it, it his his best known book of that group it was it was the war in the trenches and this is really hard these are terrific books but a bit like me going back to you know 
the spaceship with the internet or 2000 AD or whatever. It's like, it's really, really hard. And I'm not going to even begin to say some of the stuff. It's, like, it's kind of hard to read. It's hard to say. <laughs> and it's absolutely unrelenting. And it's a bit like sometimes people ask me, so I draw quite a lot of horror comics, and they say, oh, you know, does, does this horror not affect you? I'm, I'm like, mate, this isn't horror. This is just, you know, story mm. made up. You know, real horror is this other stuff. And, and, and actually, it was the war in the trenches is this thing, where it, it's just dreadful. And but also really good. It's like absolutely compulsory reading, and he's an amazing storyteller. I personally like his crime stories better because um, I appreciate. I think I appreciate quite a lot of the um, observation in them about people, and a lot of a lot of it is quite kind of amusing. But you think you know, I recognise that. Um, but yeah. So Jacques, I, I would say anything by Jacques Tardy is is absolutely un, underrated, and like I would say, loads and loads and loads of books, and largely because I think we're overexposed to direct market books that yeah. a lot of these other books just get ignored. When actually these are, these are real classics. I mean, I I don't sell it terribly well, but I tend to think that you know really great art is something that has this kind of effect on you, and I'm speaking about it in that way. That mm-hmm. we go into the art recently. This is it. So yeah, that Jack, Jack had it. I, I mean, I'm not going to list any more. Probably. No. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it there. No, that's fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I, I, I love this question, um, because it, it, it just hopefully highlights somebody, um, that perhaps I haven't come across, um, because. Uh, Regular listeners will know my own story into comics, um, where I, I only really got into comics about six or seven years ago uh, via The Walking Dead, um, having watched a TV show um, and then finding out that it's actually um, a comic book series, read the comic book series, and then just found all of the other image comics <laughs> and the rest yeah. of the comic community. That's, that's a really good way to come into it. I mean, it's you know, yeah. you're, you're you're looking at creator and comics. It's not it's not. Yeah. I mean, The Walking Dead is corporate, but it's still a personal now. work. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And you know, Robert is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It still come from um, you know uh, just a few creators' minds, um, yeah. and uh, yeah. I mean, you know, Robert Kirkman and Charlie Charlie Adler. Um, absolutely awesome ambassadors <laughs> for the comic community yeah. really um but uh, yeah no this this question is fantastic because because I, I didn't know about jack tardy and so now how can you not know Disgraceful. i know well this is it this is it so no, now no, but this is this is why you ask and yeah this is why yeah. i ask exactly and now and now i know um now i can i can go research his work um become more acquainted with it um yeah. and, and, and like this question like alone it's quite even the crime stuff is right. quite hard. I mean, in right. I think it's West Coast Blues. There's like they have a, there is a moment they have a fight in the sea. It's just like oh my god! Wow, you know, yeah. It's like Marvel comics. There's a bit of punching and kicking and crash bang, whatever going on. And no, no, this is like nasty. This is like yeah. fighting. Oh, no. People actually fight. 
Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like cheap shots and... <laughs> yeah, nasty. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's brilliant. No, I'm looking forward to, 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 to getting involved in that. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, ex- expand my horizons. So thank you for, for, for sharing that. Um, now, um, on to our penultimate question. And that is, what comic would you recommend to a friend who's never read comics? Well, I think that the first question is, is who are they? Are they mm-hmm. a UK national? How old are they? What do they like? What films do they like? Maybe what music do they like? You can get some sense of what they might be interested in from the other media that they, they have. But let's say it's a UK person. Say, say for example, it's one of my neighbours, which is a good star. Um, and they might well, say my neighbours probably already know I'm a com- comic artist because I actually involve my neighbours in my work, which is a whole other story. But right. kind of, I would start by mentioning UK people who make comics which aren't Americanized, if that's already set the barrier. So I would say anything by Dan Berry. He's, I mean, his work is supremely accessible. I mean, he and he has he, he understands that, and this is he does stories about things that you can just completely understand and relate to. And another one I would pick out if they maybe would like some horror, so something like work by John Lees, and he has a book called Sink, which is a, it's a horror story set where he lives in Scotland. And these are, these are things people can relate to. These are these are voices they can relate to. It's not Americanized. It's in a place they can understand. Comes from a thing they can understand. There's, there's points of connection they can make. Um, maybe Rob Davis's Don Quixote. It's a book they know that they maybe wouldn't be able to read mm-hmm. in its full length, but Rob's made it very accessible. It that's a good. That's another one which is a good start. Something by Daryl Cunningham. Now I've actually given his books to people who don't read comics, and again he's coming along in that way. Maybe Lucy Sullivan's Barking. Um, you know, it might be something to do with a TV tie-in, like what you were talking about, like we're talking about The Walking Dead. Um, maybe something like Sweet Tooth. I mean, that's the current Netflix thing at the moment. Yes. Um, and then, you know, they, they get to read Sweet Tooth and they're like, oh, what is this? And then maybe they might graduate to something else Jeff Lemire has done, for example. Um, or, yeah. I mean, I, I would find some kind of point of connection with them, like mm-hmm. where they're from or, you know, what they're interested in or whatever, and then and then go from there. But it would probably, if it was a UK person, it would probably be by a UK author because, as I say, it's just, it is, a, it is more immediately accessible. 100%. So some great recommendations there. Uh, now, uh, if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? This was a surprisingly hard question because I've got a lot of comics I haven't, well, there's a lot of comics I haven't read. And I was tempted to pick out one of these really long manga series so I could have plenty to read. And that would work. There's a lot of really good ones. However, I then thought, but why? You know, surely it's not in quantity, but quality. And then I thought, actually, the one I would like to have is um, Children of the Sea, because um, remembering that my my problem is an, an artificial intelligence apocalypse, maybe I'm going to be stuck where I am. Children of the Sea 
is about children on a boat and it's full of fish in the sea. It's a beautiful read. It comes in, I think, five volumes. And it's, it's by a Japanese person called Daisu Igarashi. And um, it's very unstressful. And I think I would have it as an escape from maybe the claustrophobia of the life I would have to leave. You know, you, you know you're kind of under pressure. You're under this sort of apocalyptic pressure. And, you know, children in the boat on the sea, fish, water. It's very, you know, if I can't go to the seaside, I'll take the next best thing. So, and I would recommend, I would very, very much recommend that series. It's great. And you can get it ne at nearly any comic shop as well. It's very well known. Fantastic. I think it's published by Viz. Okay, yeah. So that, that, would be, that would be what I would take. Excellent. And uh, along with that, uh, what weapon, tool or useful item would you like to take with you uh, as well? I would take, um, I have a pair of um, kitchen shoes and um, <laughs> I have them here in my hand now. And um, they're called, they're by a, some people called it Kai, they're Japanese. Right. And it's Kai Select 100. And they're basically massively strong scissors. And I use them for everything. Um, I'm one of these people who likes in my I'll, in the kitchen. I will cut the vegetables up with scissors instead of chopping them. And that Why not? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, they're great. So I would I would take um, I would take my my pair of scissors. I I mean I I honestly use them all the time. Amazing. But these ones these ones are super good. They've got like. Um, they are, they are actually made as kitchen shield, and you could, if you pull them apart, you can pull them apart and clean them and sharpen them as a separate blade. Or you could basically turn them into a knife, and they're nice. They're real chunkers. I mean, they've they've got very very thick blades. They're not they're not huge scissors. They're just the size of a normal pair of kitchen scissors. But they've got they've got like um, I'm just looking at this. They've got like two or three mil thick blades. You know. So yeah, they can go through. You could, you could go out hunting. You could you could cut your game up with them. Amazing. So yeah, hugely practical. I don't know. I just find them really useful. Um, yeah, like totally. If you take take one thing, yeah, no, it'd be my, it'd be my scissors. Love it. Absolutely love They're it. Right, right here with me right now. They oh, well, <laughs> by your side, ready to rock at any moment. Um, Alison yeah, Sampson. Totally, totally useful. Yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, it's quite all right. Um, and for the listeners, one more time, where can they find you online? They can find me on Twitter at Alice Sam. That's A L I S underscore S A M P. Um, and that's got my contact details on it and my website on it. And um, it, they can follow me at Insta on Instagram at Alison.Samson. And if they're on Facebook, they can find me. And um, that's kind of it at the moment. But like, you know, if you are on Twitter, do feel free to, you know, if, you, if there's anything people want to ask me or whatever, just ask me. I mean, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not able to post a great deal of art, but I am present. You know, yeah. I'm happy to chat, whatever. Amazing. I love it. And have you got any plans to go to uh, any Comic Cons later this year at all? I do, yeah. Thanks for asking about that. I completely forgot. Yeah. Which is something I need to do something about, actually. I have, right now, I've got two things on. Um, and I'm 
just being very careful. There are two, two things I'm definitely going to do, but I'm just being careful about booking other stuff. So I'm doing a comics workshop, which people are very welcome to come to. Um, at Meanwhile, which is the drawing festival, drawing and okay. comics festival mm-hmm. in Coventry. Yeah. The, is at the beginning of September, which I would very, very much recommend for people. It's, I, I think if you like drawing, you should, you should go if you can. And I'm doing a comics, not exactly boot camp, but we're going to basically draw, publish, and distribute comics for each person who's there. Is going to do that in a, in the space of about five, about four or five hours. And um, so if you want, to, if you've never made a comic before uh, or, you know, you were wanting to get round to making a comic, we're going to make a comic. Come and make a comic with us. Um, Love it. And oh. that's, a, that's a pretty small work. I mean, I think it's got 11 seats or something. So we're doing that. I'm doing that, um, which is at the beginning of September, which will be cool. I have no idea how many people are going to come. I mean, frankly, if only two people come, it would be lucky then. That's great. Um then um, I'm doing Thought Bubble, which is Great. what mid 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 November. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. um, I need I've, I've got to send them some stuff, but yeah, I mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. I mean, we've you can't see we haven't got cameras switched on, so you can't see this room I'm sitting in. But basically, I've got books. We've been missing conventions. I've still got the books, you know. Um, so I I think I've done three books since the pandemic started. Wow. Um, I will have two of them at, at Thought Bubble and then Excellent. the third one will be, will be completed. And actually, no, I'm going to have more than that. I can't tell you. can't tell you what it is, but there should be Ooh. one that is coming out round about the time of Thought Bubble, which is currently secret. Lovely. An unannounced book. Yeah. Whoa. Possibly. I'm looking Possibly at the comments here. Yeah. Uh, I can't tell you what Nice, excellent. Well, um, I look look forward to, to to hearing what that is, um, and uh, yeah, um, folks out there, uh, if you want to see Alison in person, um, make sure that you get to Thought Bubble. And sorry, what was the one in commentary called again? Meanwhile, it's called right. Meanwhile, and um, yes. it's being run by um, Simon Myers. I mean, he oh, fantastic friend it, of the it, show. It, He's it been does, on the show. It does, it, <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does seem to be kind of very cool. I mean, it's slightly different from other comic festivals two reasons i mean firstly his, his, his it's it's like a civic thing it's with it which very much like thought bubble is very much appeals yeah. to me but it's mm-hmm. in the city Great. and it's taking over a number of spaces there and it's in in the center of the city around the cathedral and the university and it's all spaced together and i think that's Brilliant. really cool that works that tends to work very well and i know his drink and draws have been super popular yeah. and then um Yes, and Thought Bubble is in Harrogate, of course. And I will, ha- I, I will have a table. And I don't think I'm going to have a table. At meanwhile, I'll, I'll do this workshop and I'll kind of be around. But kind of, I don't think I can do a workshop and table. I think that would just flatten me. But kind of, the workshop is really, for me, super, super tiring. It's, it's very intense. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be great, actually. 100%. Definitely. Um, if I can make it, um, I'll, I'll hopefully uh, be able to be able to make it there. Um, unfortunately, I won't be um, at Thought Bubble this year. Um, my my wife is pregnant with our second, 
and uh, she would have been uh, given birth by then. So we'll have like a two week old probably. Yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, no, Alison, again, this has been absolutely wonderful. Um, really, really good um, to to chat with you. And um, yeah, I hope our paths do cross once again at another Comic-Con in the future. Well, as I say, thank you for having me and thank you for helping me prepare for the, I can't even say it, the apocalypse by, <laughs> um, yeah, actually not doing anything at all. That was a, a good one. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you again, Alison. Uh, take care and uh, I'll, I'll be sure to see you on Twitter. Yep, indeed. And you. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye for now. Thanks again to Alison for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Alison's work or follow her on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news, the comic club, and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now. <laughs>